Tomorrow night is going to be so great. Christmas Eve, we can't wait. I have been inviting people when I go to work out at the YMCA, so I'm hoping some folks show up. I hope you have been inviting people too to uh, join us tomorrow evening for Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. Mais pour aujourd'hui, voici la question. Here is the question. Are you ready to study God's Word today? Okay. So in this series today, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2. And in this series called Love Came Down, we've been talking about when love came down to one particular place at one particular moment in history and how different people responded. And the place we've been talking about uh, last week is is Jerusalem. We talked about how uh, Jerusalem is the biggest city. It was the capital city of Israel. And how uh, just to the south of it, there's a little town that maybe you've heard of at Christmas time. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And that's where most of the Christmas story takes place in Bethlehem. But in this series, we've been learning how also some of the most significant events that took place in the Christmas story actually happen in the big city of Jerusalem. And so last week, I showed you this picture of what the modern city of Jerusalem looks like. In the background, you can see the top buildings. These are some of the more modern buildings. But in the front here, on the eastern side of the city, you see part of the old ancient city of Jerusalem. In fact, this platform, not the wall that supports the platform, but the platform itself behind this wall is called the Temple Mount. And we'll talk about what that means in just a little bit. But the most significant uh, feature on the skyline of Jerusalem is this gold-roofed building, of course, called the Dome of the Rock. It is 1,300 years old. It was built by Muslims in 691 A.D. Now, something else stood there originally, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you were standing here at that dome, looking out in the direction where the picture is being taken, you would actually be standing on the Mount of Olives. So if you've ever read the New Testament before, that stands out to you because the Mount of Olives is the place where Jesus spent a lot of time in a particular place on the Mount of Olives called the Garden of Gethsemane. And so if you're standing here looking from the Temple Mount out to the the Mount of Olives, you see the Garden of Gethsemane. And then if you look Uh, This is the place where Jesus was arrested the night before he died. Then if you look back, so this is the eastern side of the Temple Mount. If you look at this side of the Temple Mount, you can see that there's a wall section down there, and it's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, where Jews come to pray. And many times you've seen pictures on the news, pictures of of people praying and kissing the wall and and sticking little prayers in between the stones at the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. So if you're looking at it again, you can see the Dome of the Rock up here to the left on top of the Temple Mount and the uh, the, uh, Mount of Olives 
in the distance. So in the next picture, this is what it looks like today, and here is what it looked like in the time of Jesus. This is a model that you can see in Jerusalem of what originally stood there, the temple, the most holy place of worship for the Jews. If we go back one picture really quickly, uh, go back one picture, that, that the reason that this is so significant is it is ancient, part of, this was here before the time of Jesus, this wall, the support to the temple mount where the temple once stood in the time of Jesus, the most holy place of worship for the Jews. And because it's now controlled by Muslims, this is the closest they can get. And so that's why they come and pray and want to touch the wall because it's as close as they can get to the ancient location of the Holy of Holies. And so uh, we'll go back to the next picture where it shows both the old and uh, the new. Can you tell I love Jerusalem? And uh, I, I, I kind of warned them. I said, don't let me get off track too much because I could talk about ancient history on and on and on. But uh, I also love taking people there. Next year, uh, not next year, 2020, in March break of 2020, we're taking our next tour to Israel. If you're interested in learning more about that, we have brochures at the Information Center, or you can email us and we'll send you the information online. But as much as I love Jerusalem, nobody loved Jerusalem more than Jesus. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have, I have longed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And so what Jesus is saying is in Jerusalem, different people respond differently when Jesus shows up. And that's what we've been looking at, how, how four different groups of people responded when Jesus was born when love came down to Jerusalem. Because listen, how you respond when Jesus is revealed to you is the most important question of life. What you do with Jesus is a hugely important question. And when Jesus was born, the first person that we met last week who was living in Jerusalem at the time was King Herod. And we talked about how King Herod had power, but without humility. And we talked about what a dangerous combination that is. When you have power without humility, but like Herod, are, and when you are driven by fear, that is a toxic, dangerous combination. And, and, and the suffering today and the violence and, and subjugation of the poor and wars and, and conflict, much of it is because of leaders who have power but without humility and especially when they are driven by fear, it's a dangerous combination. And so uh, if, if you were not here last week, you can go to our website, mw.church, and uh, you, can, you can see all the scripture teaching and, and all the things that we learned uh, from last week to catch up. But we talked about how whether we realize it or not, sometimes we are like King Herod. 
Because he had power, he had money, he had privilege, like most of us in Canada. And, and as Canadians, we don't think of ourselves as powerful, do we? And yet we looked at some of the statistics around the world and we saw how compared to most people in the world, we have lots of power. And then, uh, then we met uh, the next people living in Jerusalem and how they responded when love came down. And we, we looked at the educated, the, 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 uh, the professors and teachers and politicians and power brokers. And here's what we found, that the educated had knowledge but without wisdom. See, this prophecy of Jesus was not a secret. There were other people living in Jerusalem at this time who, who knew what was going on, and yet they did nothing. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. It says, When Herod had called together all the people, chiefs, uh, their chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Notice that. They knew the answer. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So they knew the truth. They knew the prophecies. They knew where the Christ child was to be born, and yet they did nothing. In other words, here's what that means. They had the right information, but they lacked the wisdom to do the right thing. And because of this, the educated in Jerusalem also missed out on Jesus. And so last week we talked about how, how with our phones today, with our phones and with the internet, like we have more access to information than ever before in the history of the world at our fingertips. Like every answer to every question. Now, all the answers might not be right. You have to be careful what you read. But we have access to more information every single day at a moment's notice than ever before in all of human history. And yet, sometimes we have absolutely no idea what to do with it. And so again, you can go online and see what we studied in Scripture last week. Are you ready for some new stuff? Today, we find two more people who were living in Jerusalem when Jesus was born and how they respond. And these are some of my two favorite people. I love the people that we're going to look at today. The first is a man named Simeon. We find him in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2 in our Bibles, Luke chapter 2, and uh, it says in Luke 2, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so this guy has totally devoted himself to seeking God. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And by the way, when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is actually a, a different language interpretation uh, from uh, the Latin, from the original, uh, which is Messiah. 
That, that literally the Christ means the Messiah, the prophesied one. And so he had been waiting for the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now I want you to notice where this takes place. Where does it say that this happens? It said in the temple courts. Let me explain to you where the temple courts are. There was a reason for showing you uh, this picture and giving you this context. So right here in the very middle, you see the temple. In front of the temple, this is the area where sacrifices would be made. This huge platform that we called the Temple Mount is surrounded by these colonnades, and that entire area is called the Temple Courts. And so the Temple Courts are the busiest places in Jerusalem. It's a huge area with hundreds and thousands of people coming in and out, coming and going in the temple courts. And so Mary and Joseph come walking into this big area with people all around. I mean, it was kind of like Champlain Mall at Christmas, but bigger. <laughs> and as they come walking into this busy, crowded area in the temple courts, all of a sudden, this strange old man comes running up to them and grabs their baby. Somebody call the police. Like, this is scary. And yet, before they could get too upset, before Mary and Joseph could be too worried, Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms and begins to declare the praises of God and says, now I have finally seen the ancient prophecies fulfilled. My life is complete and I can die. And so Simeon gave worship in the temple of the Lord. Now when I think about this, this is kind of an early model for the church. Because what's the big deal about people coming to church with lots of other people, beaucoup de gens singing and praising his name and declaring the scriptures? Why do we make such a big deal about orchestrating these elaborate services and, and beautiful music? Listen, because you need to understand something. We are glad that you're here. We want everybody to be here. I mean, it'd be awesome if everybody were to come here. We, 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 we enjoy what we do together here and the community that we build and the relationships that we build and the, the ways that we go out and serve the community. But listen, what we do in here in the celebration service on Sunday morning is not to celebrate you. <laughs> it's coming together to give glory to God and to lift up his name. And so what we do here, like Simeon, is to lift up the name of Jesus. That is why we sing our faces off. <laughs> Chantez ensemble, to lift the roof and raise our hands. And Simeon literally said, now that I have seen Jesus, the meaning of my life has been made complete. And so here's one more person that we meet living in Jerusalem who was in the temple that day. And her name is Anna. We're still in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. So there was also a prophetess, 
Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Now, by the way, if you're 84 years old, I'm not saying that you're very old. The Bible says it, okay? Uh, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So how had she spent the rest of these years of her life? Here's how she had spent them. Look at the next verse. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment to Mary and Joseph, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all. She spoke about the child to everyone, those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And so not only did she praise Jesus, also Anna shared the light of Jesus with others. She went around to tell everybody the light of the world has come to earth. And, and I, when I think of this, it's kind of like Anna is the perfect example of someone living out something that would be very familiar to us, God's love in us to the world. Because that's our mission statement, is it? That's, that, that's how we live our lives. It's how, who we are as a church at Moncton Wesleyan. And so if you're new around here, let me describe to you how this looks and how Anna lived this out. Every day she was in the temple courts fasting and praying. See, we believe that the purpose of life itself is a relationship with God. That's why God created you, so that you could know him and be known by him. And the way that that relationship begins is through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross so that we could be forgiven for our sins and receive a new life, a new beginning, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter what addictions, no matter what a bondage, Jesus is the bondage breaker. He's the one who gives us new life and a new beginning. He is our hope and our salvation and how we begin this love relationship with God. And then God pours his love into us. And so this represents us as a church and we are a church of small groups. We have hundreds and hundreds of people involved in small groups every week as we come together and we, we study the Bible together and we pray for one another and we care for one another and we encourage and we support one another. And then we go out to the world to share his love with others. And so Anna, she was in the temple courts praying with others every day. She was devoted to her faith community, and then she told others about the love of Jesus. And so we go out, and our groups serve in the community, and, and over this last year, in 2018, we literally have had thousands and thousands of hours in community service at par parachurch organizations and at food banks and, and, and at public schools and, and other organizations and just out on the streets of the city and serving in places like Harvest House and, and Naomi and Ruth and the list goes on and on because our dream, our vision is we dream of becoming the largest volunteer mobilization force that this region has ever seen 
so that everybody will know. Listen, see, see what that looks like is so that every mayor in, 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 in Moncton and Dieppe and Riverview and, and Shediac and Salisbury and Sackville and beyond, that, that they might go, you know what, I don't know what's going on in that place, but I sure hope that that church never goes away because we don't know what we would do without them. That's what we're becoming. That's the dream, to make a difference in our city so that the light of Jesus shines brightly as we bring hope and encouragement to people who are hurting to make a difference in our communities. Long ago, there was a tribe living in a dark, cold cavern. As the story goes, the cave dwellers would huddle together and cry against the chill. They complained and and suffered in the cold, in the dark. It was all they did. It was all they knew how to do. The people had never known joy. The spirit in the cave was death, but the people did not know it, for they had never experienced life. But one day, they heard a voice speaking in the darkness. I have heard your cries, the voice said. I have felt your cold. I have seen your darkness, and I have come to help. The cave grew quiet. They were afraid of this strange voice. They said, how can we trust you? You're not like us. Leave us alone. We are better without you. But the voice would not leave. Soon they could hear the sound of wood being stacked. What are you doing? The voice said, I am here to help. The stranger stooped in the darkness and continued to stack the firewood in the middle of the cave. And when the stack was complete, the fire was lit, wood ignited, flames erupted, and the cavern was filled with light. The cave people shielded their faces, put it out, put it out, it hurts our eyes. The stranger said, trust me, this light is what you need. Come close to the fire. No, they cried. The stranger standing by the fire said, don't listen to your fears. Come and enjoy the warmth of the fire. But the cave people continued to hide in darkness. But then a woman decided to step forward. Slowly, step by step, she approached the stranger. Slowly, she inched towards the light of the fire. Soon, she rejoiced. It is warm. She embraced the fire maker. Thank you, thank you. The cold was gone, and she fell into his arms. But then, she remembered her friends and her family. And she turned to the crowd, come everyone, there's room here for you. She said, come to the light. But the people mocked, leave us alone. And still they huddled, shivering in the cold corners of the cave. Finally, she turned to the fire maker. Why will they not come? Why will they not trust you? The fire maker said, well, the cold is all they have ever known. They are afraid of change. They do not know what it's like to be warm. The woman stood by the fire, her heart heavy. And the fire maker asked, do you want to leave the warmth to go back to your people? 
And she answered, I cannot. I cannot bear to go back to the cold now that I know what it is like to be warm in this light. But neither can I bear the thought of my people in darkness. There is a way, said the fire maker. There is a way. And he reached into the fire and he removed a stick. The end was ablaze in flame. And he handed her this torch and said, you can carry this light to your people. Go and show them. Invite them to experience this, this light for themselves. For everyone is welcome to come. And so she took the torch and she stepped into the darkness. For when Jesus was born, light came down. Love came down. And everyone, everyone is welcome to come. Would you stand? Obviously, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey today. I don't know what struggles you're going through or the pain that you're carrying, but Jesus knows. And he is here for you. We are here for you as his people. And so let's join together in prayer. And if you would just surrender your burdens to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the examples of people like Simeon, and Anna, who faithfully lived out their devotion to you, their commitment to your mission, their love and concern for other people. Like Anna, who shared the light and hope of, of Jesus with everyone who would listen. We want to be carriers of your light, to bring hope, to bring healing, to be a blessing to our community. And for anyone here today who has never surrendered to you, listen, my friends, if you've, if you've never given your life to Jesus and today he's been speaking to you, would you just right now in your heart say, Heavenly Father, I confess that I've been trying to live life in my own strength, by my own power, by my own wisdom. But I know today that I am not enough. I fall short of your glory. I need your forgiveness. I need a new start, a new beginning. And so I confess my sin to you. Just right now, confess to him that there are areas of your life that you've held back, areas where you have been selfish. And so I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Just tell him right now, I receive your forgiveness. I receive this new life, the hope that can only come from Jesus. And I commit to follow you and to join your mission as a torch barrier as a light carrier to bring hope to this dark world. 
to bring healing to those who are hurting, to bring help for those who are broken. And so, Father, we pray as we prepare ourselves for 2019 that we would live on mission like Anna, like Simeon, where all that we have would be devoted to you. In Jesus' name.